You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from Heritage Baptist Church in Corpus Christi, Texas, led by Pastor Johnny Chen. Our church is dedicated to serving Jesus Christ and reaching the world by going forward with the gospel. We pray that you will be helped and blessed by this message from God's Word. I wanted to bring this to you, this message I'm simply going to entitle Followers. To answer the question, what does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it entail? When you say, I want to follow Jesus, what what does that mean? I want to read you this passage of scripture in Luke chapter 14. This is our Lord talking. Listen to what he says here in verse 27 of chapter 14. Whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it? Lest haply after he hath laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going to make war against another king, sitteth not down first and consulteth whether he be able with 10,000 to meet him that cometh against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth an, an ambassage and desireth conditions of peace. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple." What does it mean to be a follower? What does it mean to be a disciple? What does it look like? And in Matthew chapter 4, we find a beautiful passage here of real men living real lives with real careers and real families who lived in a real place, who had real aspirations, at a real moment in time, who made a real life-changing decision to follow Jesus. Don't read your Bible and just get into the habit of reading black words on white paper. You can read your Bible that way. You need to see it as more than just a fairy tale. These are real people. Real men who pioneered the path of fellowship to Jesus. These were the trailblazers. The original trekkers, the original hikers, travelers on this path that is still open for you and me today. You and I can make the same life-changing decision to follow Jesus as these men did. Now, I believe you are all here tonight because at least one part of you deeply desires to follow the Lord in one way or another. But it is very possible that by this time next year, some of you won't be here. Not because you don't wish to follow Jesus, but because I believe many people who decide to follow Jesus fail to see just how life-changing of a decision it is. Jesus tells a parable of the sower and the seed. And in that parable, there's a group of people that he likens to stony ground. And he says, when these people hear the gospel at first, they receive it with joy. But the moment that the sun of adversity rises upon them, they have no root. 
to see them through the hard times. They have no root to see them through the persecution. And the Bible says, by and by they are offended and they fade away without bearing any fruit. These are people who receive the gospel, they receive the Savior with joy, but they fail, as Jesus said, to count the cost that comes with being a disciple, that comes with, do you realize the cost, the literal, practical, physical, emotional cost that comes with following Jesus in a world that hates Jesus? Oh, this world likes the idea of Jesus. They like the idea of someone who loves them so much. They like the idea of a Savior. But when you get down to who Jesus is, they don't like him. I am convinced, I have no doubt in my mind, that if Jesus were to come back and live in this earth today, many people who claim his name would point at him and accuse him of being unchristlike. You realize that? What did the Pharisees say? When Jesus said, I am the Christ, they looked back at him and said, well, you're not very Christ-like to us. Instead of, instead of when he comes into, the, into Jerusalem, instead of turning right and dealing with the Roman garrison, he turns left, walks into the temple, sees people selling and making money in the temple, walks back out, makes a whip, and goes back inside, throws over tables, starts whipping people, and screaming. My house is supposed to be a house of prayer. You made it a den of thieves. And he ordered them, no more of this. No more of this. And they look back and well, that's not very Christ-like. Something came up on Facebook the other day. How in the world? I'm getting sick and tired of social media. Something comes up on Facebook. Join this seminar where we are going to show you how the Bible shows that God approves of homosexuality. I couldn't pass that up. So I commented. And I said, I'm very interested to see how you're going to explain away Genesis chapter 2 and Romans chapter 1 and 1 Timothy chapter 1 and 1 Corinthians. And, and I started naming all these things. Within five minutes, they had deleted my comment. And somebody had commented under there, I am amazed at all of the unchristlike comments. You have no idea who Jesus is. You wouldn't know Jesus if he slapped you in the face. I'm not blaming you for that. I'm talking to them. And... <sighs> I've said this before. I'll keep saying it as long as I'm pastor here. We're not out to be obnoxious. We're, we're commanded in Romans 12, 18, if it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. I appreciate those first two phrases, though, if it be possible, and as much as lieth in you. And church, there needs to be some things where it doesn't lie in you. And there need to be some areas where, I'm sorry, it is not possible. Sorry, not sorry, it is not possible. If you're going to preach a false Christ, it's not possible. I, will, I won't even bid you God's speed. I'm not going to be a partaker in your evil deeds. But So, no, we're not trying to be obnoxious, and, and we're not going to pick a fight. And there are some churches that do that, and they, they, they bring shame to the name of the Lord. They do. But if our church doesn't make the world angry, we're doing something wrong. Amen. One of the telltale signs of a Christian, 
the world will hate you. Not just look at you and say, you know what, you are mildly inconvenient to me. They will hate you. Everything that they, 1 John 3, 13, everything that you love, they will hate. Everything that you hate, they will love. What fellowship hath light with darkness? And that's why all these churches that are popping up, gray area churches, you know where you get gray? You mix light and darkness. We're supposed to be white, as light as can be. I'm afraid that many people say very quickly, I want to follow Jesus, not realizing what following Jesus entails. When we sing, I have decided to follow Jesus, though no one joined me, still I will follow. The world behind me, the cross before me, no turning back. Do we realize what we're singing? We sing, follow, follow, I will follow Jesus anywhere, everywhere, I will follow on. But do we know what that means? We sing, come, follow me, the Savior said, then let us in his footsteps tread. Footprints of Jesus that make the pathway glow. We will follow the steps of Jesus wherever they go. Do we realize where his footsteps lead? We've just come off a great week of services. I believe many of us, if not all of us, made some type of decision for Christ. And I'm glad for that. I, I really am. But I wish to remind us or maybe get us for the first time thinking about what, what following Jesus truly entails. Because as your pastor, I don't want you to be blindsided. I want you to know what you're getting into. I'm going to tell you the cost so that you can count it. And by the way, at the end, every true Christian is, is going to look at the cost and say, sign me up. So I'm not trying to scare you away. I don't believe I will scare you away if you truly want to follow Jesus. But I don't want you to be discouraged along the way. I don't want you to become weary and well-doing. I don't want you to look at me and say, you never warned me what following Jesus really means. I didn't sign up for this. So let me show you tonight. Let's all look tonight. What it, what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. And this is really the message in a nutshell. I want to show you following Jesus is not always easy but it's always worth it. It is not always easy, but it is always worth it. I'm going to show you what is difficult about it, and then I'm going to show you, even through the difficulty, what makes it worth it. Number one, what does a follower look like? Okay, that's what I'm preaching on, followers. Well, number one, followers put Jesus' will in place of their own. Followers must put Jesus' will in place of their own. These real men with real careers, making real money to take home to their real families, to provide to their real needs. Peter had a wife. Amen. Yes, yes, Peter had a wife. The first pope had a wife. Either that or he just had a mother-in-law for no reason. And that's about as... There's some truth I won't speak. <laughs> Peter had a wife. James and John worked with their father. They were brothers. Uh, balance of probability would say that Andrew also had a family of his own to watch over. We don't know for sure. We do know that Peter was his brother. What I wish to bring out is this. For these four men, following Jesus meant unfollowing something. Following Jesus meant unfollowing something. They were fishermen. Now, we don't know how long they were fishermen, but they were fishermen long enough for them to have at least two boats in their business. When Jesus said, follow me, they weren't saying, well, good, because this whole fisherman thing isn't working out. They had their life set. 
They were on a path of, of success. When Jesus said, follow me, he was calling them to leave what they knew to pursue what they didn't know. They had their plans. Jesus had other plans. To follow Jesus meant to lay down their plans and to pick up Jesus's. And church, that's not easy. That's not easy to do. But that's what following Jesus means. Because Jesus doesn't follow you on your path. You follow him on his we go where he leads. We stop where he stops. We turn where he turns. And we have no say in the matter. The moment that we start having a say in the matter is the moment that we stop following Jesus. There's a man named Balaam. And he has these people come up to him. He says, I want you to come up. We're going to pay you all this money. And all you have to do is curse these people who are camping out in my kingdom. And he says, let me talk to God about it. And God says, absolutely no. Send them away. So he sends them away, but then better princes come. Do you realize the money that we're going to give you? you realize the success that you will have and the, the fame? Okay, let me go back and talk to God about it again. And you know what God said? Fine. Fine, go ahead. I already told you no, but you're coming back to me again. You've obviously made up your mind. Go ahead. And, the, and God showed up a donkey is smarter than you. When God makes his way clear, oh, we always have a way to, but did God really mean that? The moment we start having a say in the matter is the moment we stop following him. Followers understand that Jesus' will must be placed instead of their own. Notice that with me. I didn't say followers put Jesus' will above their own. This is not about putting God's will above ours. It is about taking our will, wiping it off, and put Jesus' will instead. If, if, you, if you say, God, your will will be plan A, mine will be plan B, you are not a follower. God's will is not plan A. It's, it's, it's the only plan. You may have a career. You have a family. You have a future goal. You have desires. You have hobbies. You all have those things. You can't follow Jesus without being willing to wipe all of that away and trust his will instead of yours. And that's why it's called a narrow path, because there's not enough room for you and Jesus and your will on a narrow path. There's only room for you and for him. We quote the verse, let us lay aside every weight. Weight, pun. Let us lay aside every weight. What if that weight is your aspiration? What if that weight is your salary? What if that weight is your possessions? That rich young ruler who came up to Jesus and said, all these have I kept from my youth up. One thing thou lacks, thou lackest. Go and sell all that thou have. Give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and follow me. And he hung his head and walked away because he had great possessions. What we, we think of the weight as expendable things. Yeah, I guess I could give up my hobby. I guess I could give up the TV show. I guess I could give up some leisure time on Saturday. No, no, no. Sometimes the weight is things that is very important to you. Do you know what Abraham's weight was? Isaac. Many times you can't be a follower until you slay your Isaac. What is it for you? Your aspiration, your goal, your education, your career? For these men, it was their career. 
In order to follow Jesus, they had to replace their career with the calling that he had for them. But I love this. Do you notice that even though, even though Jesus called them to follow him and they had to leave their career, he didn't tell them, follow me and forget every moment you've spent fishing. It was a waste of time. He didn't say that. He used it. Do you see that? He used it. He said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. You're already fish. He says, I will take the same ability, the same knowledge, the same time, the same effort that you spent in catching fish, and I'll just teach you how to use it to catch men instead. God uses it. Forsaking your will may not be easy, but it's only when you forsake your will and take Jesus' will that you will truly see what God can do with your abilities. Think of this. Andrew's will led him to, be a, to have a good salary, let's say that in order to take care of his family. That's what Andrew's will led him to. Jesus' will led him to be an apostle of the Messiah. Peter's will led him to be a great fisherman. Jesus' will led him to preach Pentecost. James's will led him to be a good businessman, let's say. Jesus' will led him to be the pastor of Jerusalem, the church at Jerusalem. John's will led him to be a hard worker, let's say. Jesus' will led him to pen five books of the Bible. Followers put Jesus' will in place of their own. That's difficult. But it's always worth it because you'll soon find out Jesus' will is always better than your own. Number two, followers follow Jesus now. Followers put Jesus' will instead of their own. Number two, followers follow Jesus now. Now, chapter 4, verse 20, and they straightway left their nets. Verse 22, and they immediately left the ship. Now, perhaps this doesn't seem like that big of a deal when we first read it. We just read over those two words, straightway, immediately. But the Bible purposely shows us in the four cases with these men, when Jesus said, follow me, they did it without a moment's, moment's hesitation. They did it immediately. Now, if that isn't convicting enough, thinking of all the time, I am hard-headed. I could bang my head on this pulpit, and I'd hurt the pulpit. I am hard-headed. My dad just had to constantly nail things into my head, and the Lord needs to do the same thing with me. It took a year of arguing with the Lord to get me to take this position here as a, as a youth pastor. I wanted to go somewhere else. I wanted to be a missionary in Argentina. That's what I wanted to be. I went to school to be a missionary in Argentina. I knew that since I was 11 years old. I wanted to be a missionary. And I, I graduate college with a bachelor's degree in missions and say, all right, Lord, here we go. Nope. What do you mean, nope? It's what I went to school for. Nope. Okay, you just mean later. Nope. For a year, I battled with the Lord. Took a long time to get through this thick skull. So if it isn't convicting enough that these four men just immediately dropped everything and followed Jesus, I want you to think about what just happened to these men. Let's dive in here and let's think practically of what just happened to these men. There's a parallel passage of this in Luke chapter 5. Let's go ahead and look there. Luke chapter 5. Keep your place in uh, Matthew chapter 4. And let's look in Luke chapter 5. Some argue that this is not a parallel passage, that this is a different passage, but they're wrong. 
It's a parallel passage. But what you have is you have the same story being told from different, different perspectives. It's very possible. That's what the Gospels are. This is what's happening in the passage that we just read. And this is a little bit more insight into it. Look at what just happened in Luke chapter 5, verse 1. And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret, Sea of Galilee, and saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them, and they were washing their nets. He entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's. There's Peter. And prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Man, the Lord gets to sit down while he preaches. Uh, he's the Lord, though. I'll stand. Verse 4, Now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. And when they had, done, and when they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their net break. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that's James and John, by the way, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished, and all that were with him at the draught of fishes which they had taken. And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. What we just read about does not happen on the Sea of Galilee. This was the catch of a lifetime. This catch was so great that every single person who observed it, fishermen, seasoned fishermen, the Bible says, were astonished at the draught of fishes that they caught. Have you ever been astonished at something? Dumbfounded, speechless, because that just doesn't happen. I remember in 2013, the Blackhawks were playing for the championship. It was game six. If they won game six, they won the Stanley Cup. I know that you don't care about hockey, but I do, so just follow along with me. <laughs> and uh, it was right in the middle of a youth conference, and I was kind of uh, leading a portion of the youth conference, and I just kept on looking at Tracy, and she would tell me the score. And it, she, at, one port, at one point, she goes, ah, losing one to zero. And then I see her at one point. So I get excited, and then I know it's coming down to the third period, and I look over at her. Ugh, I don't want to go to a game seven. I hate it. My heart can't, my heart can't deal with it. So we dismissed, and we go out, and we, we begged one of the workers at the college, that's where we were, said, can you please put it on the TV in the, in the corrals is what it is, kind of their cafeteria. So we put it on. There's about 50 of us gathered around the TV. There's a minute and 30 seconds left, and we're down two to one. In 17 seconds, we scored two goals and came back to win. One word, astonished. Because that doesn't happen. Not in a championship game, it doesn't happen. Have you ever been astonished at something? These men were astonished. So I want you to think about something. Do you know what every single fisherman was thinking when they look at two boats sinking because of all the fish that they have? So many fish 
They can barely get back to land. You know what they're thinking? Cha-ching. Catch of a lifetime. I can buy my wife that present that she's always wanted. We can go to that falafel restaurant tonight. I can pay that bill down. We can put a down payment on another boat. This is amazing. I can see Peter being the leader that he is. Let's get back to land uh, and let's get right back out. James and John, you mend the net. Why do you think they were mending nets? It just broke. James and John, you mend the net. And uh, you two, you start counting up the fish. And we are going to get right back out and catch more. But it was right then. Come back to the, they come back to the shore. Peter and Andrew are already out. Throwing more things. Come on, let's get more. Let's get more. They're really biting today, even though it was a net, right? And then James and John are mending the nets to go back out. It was right then Jesus comes to them and says, follow me. On the most profitable day of their career, on the day when they were going to make more money than they have ever made before, Jesus comes up and says, follow me. Now, at that moment, you would think they would look at Jesus, look at the fish, look at the sea, and say, now? What about tomorrow? What about tomorrow? Just let me take the deposit. Just let me take the deposit to the bank. Let me buy this. Let me get that land that we always... Not now. Not now. They didn't do that. Straightway. Immediately, the Bible says they forsook all. They forsook all and followed him. Tell me that was an easy decision. Now, they made it look easy. But tell me that was an easy decision. It most certainly was not an easy decision. But they were followers, and that's what followers do. Followers follow Jesus now. When Jesus said, follow me, I will make you fishers of men, they didn't hear a ridiculous request. They didn't hear a foolish mission. They heard the very Son of God. They heard the Son of God, their Messiah, telling them the same miracle that you just saw with fish, the same success that you just saw with fish, follow me, and I'll show you that with eternal souls. And they said, we're in. Let's go. Forget about the nets. Forget about the ship. Let's go. Let's follow the Lord. And listen to me. What Jesus can do with you when you follow him is far more than you will ever give up. What Jesus can do with you when you follow him is far more than you will ever give up. One day spent following the Lord will bring much more to you than all the fame that this world can bring. One day spent following the Lord will bring far more to you than all the gold in the banks. One day spent following the Lord will bring far more to you than all the jewels that sparkle and shine. Therefore, to to ignore the Lord for one day you're forfeiting untold eternal riches. You know the man named Jonah? Where God says, I want you to go and preach to Nineveh? And he says, no. So he runs the complete opposite way and gets a ship going to Tarshish. He doesn't make it. He finds himself in the belly of that whale, and here's, where jo- here's what Jonah said. The man who had an opportunity to follow the Lord's plan for him, and he ran instead. Here's what he says in Jonah chapter 2, verse 8. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. This was my own fault. Everything that I have lost, I was the one who forsook it. Think of the joy and the memories and the success and the lessons and the accomplishments that you've seen in your life. How much more do you think you'll have when Jesus gets a hold of you?
How many of you remember working at your, at your job and you were in training and you had to be under somebody and they taught you how to do your job? How many of you owe the success in your business right now to somebody who trained you? So if you owe great success in your worldly business because you submitted yourself and followed a man, what do you think, what do you think Jesus can do with you? If you submit yourself to the Lord and say, teach me, whatever, what do you think the Lord can do with you? If a sinful man can make you successful in your business, what do you think God can do with you? I have not seen nor ear heard nor hath entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Tell me, Christian, what can this world offer you that is worth more than having Christ? Followers put Jesus' will in place of their own and soon find out that Jesus' will is always better. Followers follow Jesus now. That's not always easy. But they understand that even a day spent following something else is wasted time. Number three, followers face great opposition. You say you want to follow Christ. Okay, someone's warning you. Followers have to put Jesus' will instead of their own. You can have both. Followers, followers follow now. And number three, you will face great opposition. We just heard a message about this from Brother Angel. And I've mentioned this story I'm about to tell here many times before, but I see no harm in telling it again because it's something that every follower will face. How do you think others reacted to the decision of these four men? Do you not think that that catch drew attention? This world has words to describe someone who will choose to follow the unknown right after the most, or right during the most profitable day of their career. Words like wasteful and idiotic and stupid and dumb and mind-blowing and unbelievable, along with a smattering of more harsh words. I can only imagine the ridicule that came from the peers of these men when they laid down their nets and followed the Lord. James and John worked with their father, Zebedee. It is a dream of every parent to see their children grow up and work with one another and talk with one another and be like-minded with one another. That is, that is a dream of every parent. When I, think, when I sit in my office and I see the books that I have, and I'll, I want Haddon to have those someday. I would, it would be a, a gift beyond imagining if the Lord would call my boy to preach. I cannot think of something more incredible than that for my boy to follow in my footsteps. There's no greater joy than to know that my children walk in truth. So think of, uh, think of this. It is possible this business belonged to Zebedee. He's the old timer here, right? And here come his boys sailing in. Can you imagine all these fishermen around him? Zebedee, is that James and John? Oh yeah, those are my boys. Look at that catch. Catch of a lifetime. They're coming in with fish that seasoned fishermen on Galilee have never, never pulled off before. Can you imagine how that father feels? Again, real people, real emotions, real aspirations. I think he's over the moon. Come on, boys. Woo! Let's get these, let's get these cashed in and let's go out and get some more. But then he sees this man walk up while his boys are mending a net that just broke because of all the fish that they just caught. And the man just calls out to him, 
And verse 22 of, of Matthew chapter 4, they immediately left the ship and their father and followed him. Who is this man? Now how do you think that father felt? Where do you think you're going? Today? Now? No wonder Mark says Jesus had a nickname for James and John. He didn't call them the sons of Zebedee. He called them the sons of thunder. I think Zebedee had a, had a spell. These men faced family opposition in following Jesus. They faced worldly opposition. Jesus told them at the Last Supper, if the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. You know what Jesus is saying? This is in the original Greek. If the world hated you, welcome to the club. That's what Jesus is saying. Because following Jesus means walking the same path that led him to the cross. Following Jesus will lead you to a cross. That's why Jesus said, He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. Luke 9.23, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. When we sing that song, The World Behind Me, The Cross Before Me, that's not only Jesus' cross, that's your cross. That's a cross of persecution. It's a cross of peculiarity. It's a cross of hatred. These men face satanic opposition. Jesus told Simon, 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 behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. Amen. Andrew was crucified. And listen to these four men. What following Jesus, listen to the path that it led them to. Andrew was crucified in Greece on an X-shaped cross. Peter was crucified upside down by request, by the way. James was murdered by Herod Agrippa II with a sword. John was boiled alive in oil, and he survived. So they exiled him to Patmos. How about the other followers of Christ? Paul was beheaded. There was another Simon, Simon the Zealot. He was either sawn asunder or crucified. Matthew was either stoned, burned, or crucified, or some say all three. James, the son of Alphaeus, was either stoned, clubbed, or crucified, or again, possibly all three. Matthias was either stoned or beheaded. Bartholomew was either drowned, skinned alive, or crucified. Philip was either stoned, beheaded, or crucified. Thomas was dropped onto a spear. Jude was chopped apart with an axe. Stephen was stoned to death. And if we will follow Jesus, we will not be exempt from opposition. We will face family opposition. Church, it breaks my heart. But sometimes the people that you look to to give you the most trouble. We will face opposition from the world. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. We will face satanic opposition. That man is facing that problem right now. That young man back there, he is facing that problem right now, but he's standing strong and God's using him. Amen. We will face satanic opposition, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Stop. That young man is facing this, 
but ask him afterwards. Ask him if he has any regrets of following the Lord. He has no regrets. Brother Rusty, have you run into op- some opposition when you said, I'm, I'm following? Has the path that you have chosen to, to walk on led your family into any opposition? Sure it has. Would you change it? Another man out there answered the call to preach. He is dealing with constant opposition. From Brother Mark. We grow through opposition. Do you want to know why I have no muscle on my body? You don't have to laugh. Because I have never broken my muscles down. I have never put my muscle through enough hardship for it to grow back stronger. I don't see the point. (laughs) Bodily exercise profiteth little. Amen. (laughs) I skip leg and arm day. (laughs) We grow through opposition. Some of the greatest times in church history is through times of opposition. Some of the greatest times of growth in the church is through times of opposition. Churches saw growth not in padded pews and air-conditioned buildings, but in the catacombs. Churches did not see growth walking to beautiful edifices outside in buildings of freedom. They found growth walking to the stake and saying, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. Satan's darts are spent on followers. I'm just telling you, that's what you're signing up for. Count the cost. Count the cost. Be ready. Prepare yourself. I just shared with you a story on Wednesday to remind us how the devil wants nothing more than to distract, and he distracts so that he can destruct, And he destructs so that he can destroy. Put on the whole armor of God and stand strong. Followers put Jesus' will in place of their own and soon find out that Jesus' will is always better. Followers, Followers follow Jesus now, understanding that even a day spent following anyone else is wasted time. Followers face great opposition, but they gladly take up their cross because they realize, number four, followers receive a crown. By all earthly accounts, these four men lived a difficult life. They had no place to lay their head. They faced constant battles. They rarely knew where their next meal would come from. But I, am, I, I wonder how all of that stacked up against the privilege of walking with Jesus. I wonder if these four men knew that when they gave up that catch of a lifetime, Jesus got on the phone back to his father and said, can you, make 20, can you make 12 thrones for these men to sit on so that they can judge the tribes of Israel for all of eternity? I wonder if they knew when they died for Jesus that the effect of their ministries would last for millennia and reach hundreds of millions of people. Following Jesus is not always easy, but it's always worth it. It's worth it in this life, and it will be more than repaid in eternity. Even if every day following Jesus is spent in adversity, I'd rather be in the valley with Jesus than on the mountain alone. 
I would rather follow Jesus to the grave than follow my own heart to the throne of the world. 2 Corinthians 4.17 says, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. That's what it means to be a follower. Putting his will instead of yours. Following now. Yes, facing great opposition, but receiving eternal rewards that will far outweigh our earthly cost. So you go ahead. You serve yourself. I choose to serve the king. You go ahead and follow your heart. I've decided to follow Jesus. You go ahead and seek fame and fortune. I don't care if this world knows me. I want Jesus to know me. You go ahead and chase after money. I'm going to chase after him. Though no one join me, still I will follow. But there, is there not one here who will join me? And I see on your faces that you will. But count the cost. Let's understand what it means to be a follower. The Christian life is not a sprint. It's a marathon. Understand what it means. Pick up your spiritual pen, sign on the dotted line, buy the truth, and sell it not. Church, let's follow him with all our heart. Thank you for listening to our audio preaching podcast. For more information about our ministries, or if you would like to get in contact with us, please visit our website at heritagebaptistcctx.org. May God bless you as you go forward with the gospel this week.